Before we read the scripture, I want to start us out with a, with a question. Uh, when you walk into a, to a room full of people, what do you see? What do you say? I see a room full of people. Uh, what do you, when you walk into a room full of people, what do you feel? What, what emotions um, do you deal with? Do you feel fear? Uh, do you feel awkward? Do you feel shy? Do you feel uncomfortable? Do you think, oh, this looks like a lot of work? Uh, do you think, this looks like a chance to network? Uh, this looks like an opportunity uh, to socialize and to meet new people. This looks like a chance to gather a crowd and work on some of my new material. Um, you know, what, for the comedians in the group, what do you think uh, when you go in a room full of people? And, and how is it different with people you know and people you don't know so well? What do you think when you walk into a room full of people that you don't know any of them? Now, <clears throat> why is that important for us to think about? Well, a growing church uh, is, which is what we're trying to do here, is a group of people, right? But it's a group of people that has relationships together, but we're always opening up and we're gathering new people in to the church, into the group. Uh, and if you're in the group already, or if you're trying to come into the group from the outside, making connections is a big deal, right? Trying to connect to other people who are part of this group. Uh, and, and I think one of the biggest hurdles in connecting with each other as you're building a group, and, and not even, let's just talk about your everyday relationships, one of the biggest hurdles just with connecting with your neighbor or the people you work with, um, I think is, is you, and it's me. I, I'm the one who gets in the way of me connecting with other people. Now, why do I say that? Well, I say that because the way I think about me is going to impact the way I think about you. It's going to impact the way I interact with you. It's going to, inter- it's going to impact the way I think about you and feel about you and respond to the people I come into contact with. If I think about myself in the right way, it's going to lead to healthy interactions with other people. It's going to lead to life-giving interactions with other people. If I think about myself in the wrong way, um, then it's going to lead to unhealthy interactions. It's going to have the opposite effect. Uh, thinking, thinking about myself in the right way is going to lead to friendships. It's going to lead to mutual burden-bearing. Uh, thinking about myself in the wrong way is going to leave me disconnected uh, and quite frankly, it's going to leave me alone. So, um, it is a lonely world out there. And a lot of our technology that's supposed to connect us really makes us, probably makes us more lonely. Uh, and we all have different personality types. I'm not discounting that. But I still was having one of the biggest things that keeps me from connecting to other people, you from connecting to other people, is yourself. We get in our own way. Uh, in doing this all the time. So, um, let's read the text, and <clears throat> hopefully this will all connect for you. Galatians 5, um, in Hebrews there. Galatians 5, and we're going to start reading in verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Uh, Would you pray with me? God, we, we pray now that, that you would indeed work uh, through this channel of the preaching of your word, and that, Holy Spirit, you would come and that you would make the word uh, effective in our hearts, that you would stir us up to faith, to belief, uh, and that we would trust in what the word says and so be changed by it. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Galatians. We're almost done. Uh, the book of Galatians tells us Big picture Galatians tells us that we're brought into a relationship with God and kept in a relationship with God, not by works, not by what I do, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And I can't add anything to that. I can't subtract anything uh, from that. Faith in Jesus plus nothing. What's faith in Jesus? Faith in Jesus is trusting in Jesus Christ for my salvation. It's trusting in the work of Jesus on the cross, not trusting in my work, but resting in him and in him alone. We're saved by faith, not works. But true saving faith always leads to good works. Now, why is that? Well, when you come to faith in Jesus, uh, God gives you his Holy Spirit, and then the, the Spirit works in you. And as you keep in step with the Spirit, as you walk with and by the Spirit, uh, the Spirit produces fruit in your life. And we uh, we looked at the dynamic of that last week. But, but here's the thing. That fruit that's being produced isn't produced over in a corner. Right? It's produced in the context of relationships with other people. Galatians 5.14. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The gospel, as you, as you grasp justification by faith, as you grasp the gospel... That changes the way that you relate to and think about other people. But the way it first of all does that is it changes the way you think about yourself. The gospel changes the way I think about me. And as the way I think about me is changed, that begins to impact the way I think about you. All right, now where do we see this in this text? Galatians um, uh, 5, verse 26. Let me read that again. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. All right, the word here translated, the word conceit here literally means vain, glorious, or empty of honor. Now, listen to what Tim Keller wrote about this. Conceit is a deep insecurity, a perceived absence of honor and glory, with a corresponding need to prove our worth to ourselves and others. This in turn fixates our mind on comparing ourselves with others, 
When we seem better than someone else in some trait, our honor hunger puffs us up and overly elates us. When we seem to be inferior to someone else, we are devastated for the same reason. In addition, honor hunger can make us very competitive. This describes the natural state of our heart without the gospel. Or as he says later, we have this glory vacuum in us. Or as Ted Tripp likes to say, we're all glory thieves. We have this, we have this deep insecurity uh, that's part of who we are as fallen people so that we're constantly having to prove ourselves to ourselves and to other people. We have to prove our worth. And because we're busy proving our worth, we get caught up in the comparison game. We get caught up in comparing ourselves to other people. When we seem better than the people we're comparing ourselves to, what does that do? That, that puffs us up, all right? When we seem uh, inferior to the people we're comparing ourselves to, that leads to depression, uh, to be down on ourselves, and that leads us to envy people that we feel inferior to. And so we all have this me focus, uh, this, this me focus, this, this hunger for honor. We're carrying around this deep insecurity, uh, a hunger for honor, a hunger for recognition, a hunger for approval, a hunger for popularity, a hunger to be liked, a hunger to be accepted. Right? We're, we're hungering for these things. So because I'm hungering for these things, I can become incessantly focused on me and how I feel and what my needs are. Now, <clears throat> if you believe that or not, I can prove it to you very easily that we're all like this. <clears throat> you may, you're going to go to a 4th of July event with family or friends, and somebody's going to take a big group picture, 15 or 20 people in it, and they're going to put it on Facebook or wherever you view your pictures. They're going to send it to Kodak, and they're going to develop it. No. You're, going to, you're going to have this big group picture, and you're, you're going to look at that picture with 20 people in it, and who's the first person you're going to look at in that picture? Come on. You're going to look at yourself. You're going to look at yourself. Out of all those people, the first person you're going to look at is yourself. Uh, so we're... We're absorbed with our with ourselves. We have this we have this vain glory, this this uh, honor hunger that we want, uh, and this self absorption leads us into these two things in verse twenty six. Either we provoke each other, or we envy each other. All right, provoke means to to call out or to, or to challenge somebody in a contest. Uh, it's, it's, you know, when you're sure of your superiority in something, as if um, I came up to you and said, how'd you do on that test? And the reason I'm calling you out is because I know I did well on that test. And so I want to illustrate that to you. I know I did better. And so it's this provoking. To be envies, uh, to envy is obvious, is to be jealous of someone else's um, accomplishments. Oh, why do they always do so well? Why, are they, why do they have to be so attractive? And so we're, when we look at other people, we're either looking down on them, um, I'm better than you, so I'll provoke you, or uh, we're looking up at them, and so we feel in, inferior, and we begin to envy them. That's what we do apart from the gospel changing us. We're always comparing ourselves to other people. Against some people you feel superior, against some you feel inferior. 
Uh, and to quote from Keller again, he says, whether you are a condescending person or a shy person, you're being self-centered. For in both cases, you're focusing heavily on how the other person makes you feel, makes you look and feel, instead of how you make them look and feel. Did you get that? In both cases, whether you're, whether you're shy or you're condescending, what you're focusing on is how they make you feel instead of how you make them feel. Uh, you can be on either ends of the spectrum and still be a very self-absorbed person. You're caught up instead of in how you feel instead of thinking about how the other person feels, which leads us to this definition of humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. All right, you get that? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Oh, I'm so bad. I'm no good. That's not what humility is. Humility is thinking about yourself less. <clears throat> See, well, I'd argue that one of the main things that makes entering into relationships with other people so difficult for us is that we're always thinking about ourselves. How do I feel as I'm entering into this relationship? How do they make me feel? And so on the one hand, we can be very uh, transactional. What does this person have to offer me? And if they offer me something, then I might be friends with them. Uh, and on the other hand, we can be very insecure. I don't, I don't want to venture beyond what feels safe and comfortable and take risk in actually entering into a relationship with this person. We're, we're deathly afraid of the awkward. Uh, and and I'll, just, I'll just tell you candidly, that's one reason we don't have a lot of college students yet, because college students are deathly afraid of the awkward, and a small church feels very awkward to them. Um, because somebody's going to come talk to you, <laughs> hopefully. And a lot of times at that age, you're like, I don't, I don't know, I'd rather be kind of isolated. We can be like that still, too. Uh, we're, we're deathly afraid of the awkward. Now, I, I, I'm spending a lot of times here, uh, a lot of time here, but You've you got to kind of get this before the rest of this passage makes uh, any sense to you, to you, before you look at it in the right way. And you've got to understand that the gospel is the antidote for these things. The gospel is the antidote both to our provoking uh, and to our jealousy. It's the antidote both to our feelings of superiority and our feelings of inferiority. Uh, the, because the gospel says... You know what, actually, you're so messed up that Jesus had to die for you. But at the same time, the gospel says, you're so loved that Jesus willingly and gladly died for you. So that, so that who you are, your, your personhood, is not caught up in whether you're superior or inferior or how you compare to the people around you. And so... Because your personhood is now defined by the gospel, by your relationship with God, you're, you're willing to enter into relationships with people you don't click perfectly with. You're willing to take that on. You know, I think a lot of times some of us are waiting around for that, that best friend forever, uh, that they're somewhere around the corner, that they like the same music and they have the same taste and, and we watch the same Disney movies together or whatever. Um, that's not what I'm looking for. But, um, 
but because we're because we're looking for that, we're not moving into the lives of the people that God has already providentially placed around us. We're we're just kind of wrapped up in me and my fears and my insecurities and, and what I need. And Jesus says, look, you're made to be wrapped up in me. I'm the one that you need to know. I'm the one that you need to delight in. And if, if you'll come and, and dr- drink deeply from my love and forgiveness, if you'll come and, and bask uh, in, in my warmth and my care, if you'll find your worth and your value in me, then you'll be freed up from always having to have the people around you meet your needs, uh, emotional needs, whatever kind of needs, and you'll be free to actually move out into awkward situations and love the people that God has already put around you. Well, then what does that look like? All right, what does it look like? That's what the rest of this is about. Um, it, verse 2 probably sums the whole thing up. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. All right, that's an awful lot like uh, chapter 5, verse 14. The whole law is fulfilled and love your neighbor as yourself. You love your neighbor, you love the people God's placed around you by serving them, by actually bearing their burdens. Now, ultimately, Jesus is the one who bears our burdens, but he puts hands and feet on that by putting us into relationships with other people so that we can bear one another's burdens. What does that look like then? What does it look like to, to bear a burden when... When we were still living out in Walnut Grove and we were living in the manse next to the church, somebody gave us an old piano, which weighed about as much as an elephant, I think, close. Uh, And it was in the church, and it had to be moved across the parking lot into the manse. And the manse is one story, but that story is about this high off the ground, so you've got to go up this many steps with this piano. And it took, there were probably ten guys around that piano, all right, getting in across the parking lot, and then getting up the steps, and then moving it uh, where we wanted it in the house. That was a a heavy piano. That was a burden. It cost those guys something to do that, right? Uh, It cost them time. They could have been doing something else. They could have been spending time with their family. Uh, It might have cost them a backache the next morning. Uh, They may have had surgery for all I know. But But it cost them something to actually come and to bear that burden for us. When you bear each other's burdens, it's going to cost you something. Otherwise, you're not really bearing the burden. It's going to cost you something. It's going to create hardship. Uh, Giving somebody money to help them out, that's going to create a burden for you. Giving somebody your time, that can create a burden for you. I asked everybody, I don't know, two or three weeks ago, I gave you an assignment. I'm not going to ask you to raise hands, but I ask you to, to call somebody within the church uh, and ask them, how can I pray for you? All right. Did you do that? All right. If, if you didn't do that, what's keeping you from doing that? Like, well, I don't have everybody's phone number. Okay. That's legitimate. Uh, what's keeping you from going up to somebody and saying, how can, just how can I pray for you? Not how am I going to change your life. I don't, just how can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? How can I bear your burdens 
in this way. Uh, are you looking around, as, as verse 10 says, first of all, the people of God that God has connected you with in his church, and are you looking for ways to reach out and to connect to them uh, and to serve them? If you're not doing that, then what you're doing is you're leaving them to bear their burdens alone. And you're leaving yourself alone to bear your burdens on your own. You're isolating yourself and you're isolating them as well. Well, uh, verse 3, Paul goes on to say, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now, what he seems to be implying here is that one of the reasons, or excuse me, he seems to be implying here is that when we refuse to get involved in bearing other people's burdens, one of the reasons we refuse to do that is because we think we're too good for it. That we're too important, that we've got other things that we need to be doing. And you see, here's what we said at the beginning, how my view of myself, I got other things I need to be doing, affects how I... Uh, relate with other people. And he says, if you think you're above helping other people, uh, you're deceiving yourself. If, if you think, oh, I'm, 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 I don't have time for that, I'm too important for that, I'm too busy for that, I'm, I'm too busy being successful for that, he says, you're deceiving yourself. You're, you're, you're missing the gospel message. You know, the gospel message that Jesus came to die for you once you got your act together? That's not it, is it? The gospel message that Jesus came to die for you once you managed your time well and were successful at your career. That's not the gospel message. The gospel message that while we were yet sinners, when we had nothing together, when we were God's enemies, Jesus died for us. In essence, we had to be helped. We had to be rescued. We had to be saved. So certain shouldn't. Uh, we then want to reach out and to help others uh, as Christ has, has helped us. It said that um, Muhammad Ali was on an airplane one time. You know this is going to be a good story, right? Muhammad Ali was on an airplane, and the stewardess came up to him, and, and she said, we're getting ready for takeoff. You need to fasten your seatbelt. And Muhammad Ali said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And the stewardess said to him, see if I know this, Superman don't need no airplane either. <laughs> In other words, look, we all need, we all need help. None of us are, we, we didn't make it on our own. We didn't arrive on our own. Uh, everything we have is a gift in one way or the other. And so we should be thankful for what we've received, especially what we've received in Christ, and be helpful uh, to others. Shortly before he died, people were visiting Steve Jobs, the, the founder of Apple, and one of the people that wanted to come visit with him was the CEO of Google, and he wanted to just come pick his brain and, you know, about the industry and how he became successful and this, that, and the other, and, and Steve Jobs' first reaction, I can't actually say what his first reaction, but it was just no, it was like, I don't want to meet with this guy. If you've read the book, you'll understand. Um, but then he said, you know, this is what he said, he, he changed his mind, he says, Everybody helped me when I was young, from Bill Hewlett to the guy down the street who worked for HP. So I called him back and said, sure. Because in that moment, what he realized was, none of us are really self-made. We've all had help. 
So why don't I help someone else? Uh, Paul goes on to say in verse 4 and 5 here, But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. And what he's saying there essentially is, look, just, just stay away from the comparison game. Quit looking at how you measure up to everybody else and how you can <clears throat> compare to everybody else and instead simply test your own work, bear your own load. Now, the word load here is different from the word burden uh, earlier in the chapter. Um, burden is a heavy weight. Load is, is more like a backpack. And so we, we bear one another's burdens. We help one another with the things for, that are too heavy for us to carry alone. But there's, there's one load, there's one responsibility that you bear on your own. And that's your responsibility before God to stand before him and give an account that he's given each one of us different strengths and, and different weaknesses. He's given each one of us different opportunities and different difficulties. And so Paul's saying, look, don't look at how everybody else is doing with their gifts or weaknesses and their difficulties or opportunities, but look at what you're doing with yours. Look at your life and, and see what kind of progress you're making. And you can take a legitimate pride in that, that progress you're making. But examine yourself, he says, before God and stay away from this comparing myself to everyone around me. Now, <clears throat> I've got to be quick here, but he does, in, in the midst of all this, give two specific examples of burden bearing. I want to, I want to talk about those briefly. One of them is in verse 6. Um, Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. There's a specific principle here that you ought to take care of your minister so that he's freed up to actually care for you. That you want your, you don't want your minister to be worrying about, how am I going to feed the kids this week? But you want him to be able to devote himself to the ministry of the word and to prayer. Uh, and so you want to see that he's freed up to take care and, and to minister to your soul. You need somebody who's giving themselves to that, to the study of the word, so they can proclaim the word that God then uses in your heart and in your life. That's the specific principle. The, the general principle is simply share, to be generous, to be generous with one another as Christ has been generous with you. Now, what's the second example? I so said there were two. The second example is in verse 1. Look at verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. When we see a brother or sister in Christ struggling with sin, what do we, what do we tend to do? What do we want to do? We want to say, somebody ought to deal with that. <laughs> I don't know that I want to deal with that. I don't know that I want to be the one to confront them. Uh, or we might just gossip about it. We're like, hmm, I wouldn't do that. And we tell somebody else what we've seen them do. We might, we might pray for them, but very often we dread getting involved in the mess, don't we? And Paul's saying here, get involved in the mess. Get involved in the mess. Um, walk through it with them. Because the next time it might be you who need somebody 
you need somebody to call you to repentance and to walk through what that looks like with you. Let me say a couple things about this. Um, I don't think this means that it's our calling to kind of be the sin police and run around like, ah, stop doing that. Um, And and certainly you have different responsibilities, say, with your children uh, than you do with somebody you barely know. And love covers a multitude of sins. But when you know somebody and you've seen them blow it and you know they're not repentant or you know they're struggling with something, you do, as a believer, have a responsibility to go to them and to talk to them about that. Um, Paul says, you who are spiritual, and I don't think he means by that super, uh, super Christians, but I think he simply means those who are walking by the Spirit. We all have the Spirit and we walk by the Spirit. We're growing in grace. That's who you are. Well, then, when you see somebody who's caught in a sin, don't just ignore that. Don't just leave them there to to try to deal with that on your own. He says what you should do is you actually should restore them. Uh, And restore, the word for restore comes from this Greek word that was related to, like, putting a dislocated shoulder or joint back in place. And you know how painful that is. And so restoration is often painful, but it's also necessary. Uh, it can be painful from, for either person, the one doing the confronting or the one being confronted. Uh, and it's going to bring pain. But bearing burdens means doing the hard thing sometimes. Doing the painful thing sometimes. Uh, and you can be on either end of that. Someone may confront you with your sin, and, and if, if that happens, uh, we need to receive that humbly. Uh, you may be the one doing the confronting. And if you're the one doing the confronting, Paul says to do it gently. He says to do it gently. Uh, because you know that you could get caught in that same sin just as easily. Don't you? Do you realize that? You know, do you realize that there's nothing you've heard about somebody else doing that you couldn't just as easily do yourself? That you couldn't, there's no sin that you've heard somebody else commit that you couldn't just as easily fall into yourself. You're just as capable. If you keep that in mind, you'll be careful when you confront. You'll be gentle when you confront. You know, if you're mad and screaming and yelling at somebody, then you've got to back off and say, all right, what am I really doing here? Has God called me to, to tear this person down? Or has, has, has God called me uh, to gently try to restore them? Am I trying to restore them or trying to hurt them? Am I trying to serve them? Am I trying to, to bear their burden? Or am I trying to tear them down? Uh, the instruction here is to bear their burden, to point out their sin, to do it gently, but to, to point them to Jesus as you're doing that. Well, I'll wrap up with this. Um, I, one night this week, our family watched the movie Hugo. And if you had watched Hugo, I didn't think it was going to be that good a movie. It was actually a really good movie. Um, it, it's the story of a, of a young orphan in Paris. And he basically lives in the clockworks of Paris. And, and you'll have to watch the movie to understand all this. But if the authorities find out that he's living on, living on his own as an orphan, they're going to take him and they're going to put him in the orphanage. So he's constantly trying to evade the authorities, and he's basically living on his own as a 
probably 10 or 11-year-old kid. Uh, he lives in the clockworks of the city, and he goes around and he keeps the clocks wound. Uh, and one of his most treasured possessions is an automaton. Now, you all know what that is, right? All right, I, I, if you haven't seen the movie, automaton is, is like a, a robot from, from way back in the day. It looks kind of like, like a droid. All right, think, think pre-C-3PO, like cast iron metal thing that just sits there. And the way it works is it's got all these gears in it, like a clock. And so if you get the gears going right, then his hand will start the move and he can draw or write things. And this is the orphan's most treasured possession because his father gave it to him. And he's convinced that if he gets it fixed, it's going to bring him a message from his father. And he, he guards it jealously. It's the message from his father. Uh, it's, it's the one thing, it's his one companion, really. But as the movie develops, he begins to see that there's another person who needs this automaton more than he does. Uh, and so he realizes, I've got to give this up, and I've got to, to give it to this other person. And so he almost gets hit, hit by a train trying to save it. Uh, he risks being sent back to the orphanage trying to save it so that he can take this gift that his father had given him and so that he can give it to someone else who needs it as badly as he does. He wants to hold on, but he's got to let go. If you're a Christian, then your Father in Heaven has given you a gift. He's given you the gift of His Son. Uh, he's, his Son has come to bear your burdens. But that's not a gift that you hold on to. It's not a gift that you throw in the closet and keep to yourself and say, I'm just going to use this for me. It's a gift that ought to push you towards giving it away to other people. Whether that's speaking the gospel, whether that's serving other people, uh, whether that's reaching out, pointing them to Jesus with your words, pointing them to Jesus with your friendships, pointing them to Jesus by your willingness to bear their burdens. We can all get get me focused, right? We all are kind of. Don't let your me focus, don't let your, your fear, your discomfort, your insecurities, don't let those keep you from knowing and serving the people God has put right in front of you and called you to serve. Let me pray for us. Father, we, we ask that you would create in us a spirit of self-forgetfulness. Uh, that we indeed would be people not that think less of ourselves, but people who simply think about ourselves less, and think about our feelings less, and think more about the people around us and, and what they're feeling. Help us to be burden bearers, and help us to do this gladly because you have borne our ultimate burden. You have borne our sin in the person of your Son. We pray it in his name. Amen.